Um, today I want to share with you guys um, uh, a word on what it means for us to be a loyal church. Okay, um, so so we are in a little series um, that's going to take us all the way till December, and this is a series talking about what kind of church the Lord wants us to be when we land on the ground in Sungai Bulo. Okay, so so today is uh, edition uh, edition number two, which is a loyal church. God wants us to be a loyal church. Let me pray and then let's get into it. Heavenly Father, I commit this time into your hands. Lord Jesus, may you bring my attention and all of our attention, all 86 devices on screen right now, bring our attentions onto you. As Lionel shared and reminded us earlier to focus our attention on King Jesus and on King Jesus alone. Father, we pray, Lord God, as we do this, that you will increase and we will decrease, Lord God, and that we will, we will journey into what it means to bend our knee and confess with our tongues, Lord God, that you are Lord Most High, that you are the King, you are our Lord, you are our, you are our Royal Saviour, Lord God, and Father, Master over our souls. So Father, we pray that today you will speak, you will speak into our hearts, you will shape us from deep within us. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. Amen. Now, my friends, uh, there, is a, there is a trend. It's not a new trend, but it's definitely a present trend um, in Christian circles, especially in Protestant evangelical Christian circles, where we think about our role as a Christian, our place as a Christian, maybe even if I might, if I may say so, our qualifying characteristics as a Christian, almost purely in terms of what we believe. Let me say that again. There is a trend, an ongoing thing, maybe hundreds of years now, um, where we think about what qualifies us as Christians entirely based on what. We believe, and, and along the way, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that, of course, uh, uh, in, in the sense that what we believe is extremely important. Christianity is an orthodoxy, right? Meaning that, that we are defined by what we believe, and what we believe actually has to inform how we act, right? And so, so, so along the way, over long stretches of time, uh, two pieces, a few, a small handful of scriptures, in a way, sometimes get reduced to becoming um, kind of like carrying more weight than, than they maybe ought to. I'm going to say this carefully because, because I don't want you to, to, to hear this wrongly. The whole scripture, we, 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 we abide by the entire scripture that God has given us. And every piece of scripture has its weight and its weightage weighed against and you know interconnected web with many 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 other scriptures with the rest of scripture all of this supports all of this and every time you take one verse out on its own without context um, and build a theology out of it in isolation from everything else um, there, there there is danger in that the word is called proof texting now i'm not going to deal with a lot of proof texting today but I'm going to speak into a whole area that I feel there is a little bit of spiritual 
malnourishment, spiritual lack of nourishment in the church. That is to understand our salvation as being beyond just what happens privately, beyond just what happens in our profession, but it is evidenced by how we order our lives. It is evidenced by our loyalty now there's there's bible verses two i'm just going to show you two right uh, matthew chapter 22 uh, says this famous verse right this this is this is like the shema israel right uh, um the lord the god is one this is from deuteronomy okay um you shall love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind and in and in i believe it might be the luke version it says with all your strength as well right now um and then there, you, you, I'll, I'll deal with Romans 10 in a moment. Now, how many of you guys, when you read this verse, you tend to kind of, in, your, in a kind of like imaginary space, stop at love the Lord your God with all your heart. Because I, 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 when I talk uh, uh, to some people, and when I think about how I, I, I kind of like engage with this text, I tend to, you know, think about it as you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And it kind of semi-stops there sometimes, you know. Um, um, maybe we, in our, if I were to challenge you and say, but what does loving your, the Lord your God with all your heart mean? Not just some of your heart, but all of your heart. And then with all of your soul, how is it different to love the Lord with your soul versus with your heart? And then what about with your mind? How is it like to, to love the Lord God with all of your mind, not just some of your mind? And then, I think Jesus adds with all of your strength as well. How does that make a difference? And then, usually at this point, um, the typical one among us, maybe not in Sungai Buloh Church, right? Because we're, we're all, you know, I, 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 you know, I just really want to grow us to be just that little bit more capacity to think these things through. But it's not unusual to reach a point where you go, wow, so tiring to think about these things, you know? Maybe... I'll save this for another time. And in the end, quite often, our salvation and our faith and our relationship with God um, gets reduced to something that is all and almost always just in the heart. It becomes just, it's, it's just a heart thing, right? It's just something that's in my heart. It's just my affection. It's just, my, just something that I feel. You know, and I'm not saying it applies to all of us, not even most of us. Um, I believe that it can. We are prone. We are prone to thinking of our relationship with God as being just my heart thing, okay? If it doesn't apply to you, that's okay. I think it's great. Now, and then you've got a verse like Romans 10 that says, and very rightly so, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And, and over time, Romans 10 verse 9 has become one of those verses that ends up getting um, all of salvation theology starts getting hung onto Romans 10 verse 9 to the point that i actually believe that romans 10 when paul wrote this one line in the in his letter to the church in rome he did not mean for this one line to become the be all and all complete unabridged summary for how salvation works it is one word on salvation and it is true and that's why when we do altar calls i will say you are saved in your seat Right? Um, if, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are saved. But as a result of this, like I said, each of them on their own is absolutely right. But when you hang 
all your theology on one or two verses of the Bible and not on the whole council of scripture, then you might over the years end up with some spiritual malnourishment. And so the malnourishment from hanging everything about salvation on Romans 10 is that you end up with a very privatized faith that all that all of your salvation is just about confess, believe, confess, believe, confess, believe, save. Confess, believe, save. Love God with all my heart. Sometimes with all my soul, which is also me. And then sometimes with all my mind, which is also me. And if you are not reading the, I think, Luke version, which has strength, then you know what? Everything is just contained within here. And all my salvation is just here, right? And, but if you stretch that out and go read your Bible, don't just listen to theologians. Okay? Because, because I think sometimes the malnourishment or the overemphasis sometimes happens at the theologian level, you know, where we take one or two verses and then we build theologies out of it. Read the counsel of the whole scripture, you'll realize that, that your salvation is a bigger thing than just inside here and coming out from here, right? Um, a lot of times you'll see that your salvation includes how you order your life, how you posture yourself before God in public, and, and many other things, which is the whole thrust of what I want to share with you today. God asks of us more than profession of faith. And God asks of us more than private affections. Does he want the profession of faith? Of course, Romans 10 verse 9 is God asking, yes, I want your profession of faith. And, and does he want your private affections? Of course, the Shema Israel is a, 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 almost a demand, almost a demand of your private affections, of, of, of your affections. But God asks of us, more than these things. In effect, God asks of us our loyalty. Say, sure more, Pastor Fergus. Sure more. I thought only pastors ask for my loyalty so I can keep serving on Sundays, right? No, no. God asks of us loyalty. The thing about loyalty is it almost presupposes that when you ask for loyalty, it means that there are sides to take. When there is an issue of loyalty, it means that there are sides to take. And sometimes we feel like, no lah, you know, maybe, maybe these days we don't really like this language of having to take, pick a side and having something like that. But last week, um, uh, we were talking about the set-apart church and how God transferred us out of darkness into the king kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Immediately, there are two different sides and you know i think we wish we could we could um how should i put it i we, i think most of us wish that we could love god and still be cool with a lot of things out there you know that, that we could have our, our loyalties pledged to king jesus and still have our loyalties kind of like semi-shared, spread out, you know, between um, all this. I'm not even going to start naming them because they're going to say, oh, Pastor Fergus is banging on or nagging us about something. So I'm not going to name them, but I think you understand all the things that can end up becoming a rival to your 
affections, your loyalties to Jesus. And, and, and we wish that we could have everything kind of like coexist. It's like having, you know, um, um, all, all your different groups of friends uh, come to one party and you wish that you could kind of like mingle with everybody with the same dynamics. And, and, and sometimes you can't, right? Sometimes you can't. And, and, and in this particular party, I think what God is saying is that have a party just for me. Right, have a party just for me. And then let every other party be right-sized according to your party with me. And I think that's what it means. But of course, not all loyalties um, are necessarily about taking sides. You know, um, uh, This year in July, June or July, Ju June, uh, we got a dog. And all of you all know my dog by now, right? His name is Otto Fritz. Um, and, and, and I never thought I would be a dog guy. But I learned loyalty after I became a dog guy, right? Because this fella will literally sit outside our bedroom door in the dark and go to sleep outside, fall asleep sometimes right outside our bedroom door. He's not allowed in the room, okay? He'll literally fall asleep there sometimes, okay? And when we wake up in the morning and open the door, there he is waiting for us, just waiting for us, right? Um, I, I started to think maybe I should every morning open the door and take a picture of him, you know, and then maybe this collage can have more pictures, but I got lazy and I didn't do it. Uh, so, so, so I have two pictures of him, right? Um, but but that's, that's like the loyalty, you know, of, of, of a, yes, it's a, it's a, it's a, we gave him a German name because he's a schnauzer, you know, um, and, 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 and I, I learned what it means to be loyal, to, to, to hang on your master, to wait on your master, to be there on your master's back and call, you know, and to, and to be prepared, constantly prepared so that when your master shows up, you are there. You are ready to say hello, you are ready to greet, you are ready to love, you are ready to show affection, you know. And you know what? You know what? He's, a, he's, a better, he, he's better at loyalty than I am. He is, he is, right? I, I always tell him he's a better dog than I am a man uh, because he, he loved us uh, um, while we found him odd and curious and quite grotesque. When we rescued him, he was quite grotesque. <laughs> and and, and, uh, and he, I learned more about God through having a dog, right? Um, but you know what? Sometimes loyalty does mean taking a side. And, and recently, I started to rewatch. Um, the Godfather movies, right? Um, so, so uh, uh, I I, I rewatched Godfather one finally properly on a proper size TV, okay, a big biggish TV. Um, I I first watched Godfather as a film student uh, studying overseas with a tiny TV. And I really, someone told me, uh, uh, Fergus, you will not appreciate the film, you know, watching it on a tiny TV. Um, so so I finally rewatched it, and there is this scene, the opening scene. Um, um, is of this guy called Bonazera um, meeting with the Godfather. That's Marlon Brando, Don Corleone, right? Um, that means Father Corleone, right? Um, and and Bonazera, um, he, he he like like all Italian migrants, you know, have ended up in 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 some neighborhood Italian neighborhood in New York. Um, he has a daughter. Um, his daughter was uh, um, I guess uh, 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 sexually assaulted by by her boyfriend and his friends try to get her drunk. And and when she refused them, he they beat her up and and defaced her. And and then they went to the police. And then they went to the courts. And and Bonazera did not get justice for his daughter. And so, and so the movie opens with Bonazera meeting Don Corleone. And he says to Don Corleone, I want justice. 
I want justice. Don Colone, give me justice, you know. And then Malon Brando in his in his godfather voice, you know, he says, he says, Bunazera, <laughs> Bunazera, we have known we, we have known each other how many years now? Right? And then he says, But this is the first time you have come to me for counsel or for help. I can't remember the last time you invited me to your house, even for a cup of coffee, even though my wife is godmother to your only child. And then Bonazera is like, wow, he's Paisea, because he never really acknowledged uh, Don Corleone. Then, then Don Corleone says, but let's be frank here. You never wanted my friendship, and you feared to be in my debt. And just that opening scene, just that line, right? I, mean, I started to think like, wow, actually, uh, this Bonazera guy, he doesn't want to be Don Corleone's friend. He only come to him when he got trouble only, you know? When, when he exhausted all the other options, went to police first, went to the courts of law first, you know? I'm not telling you in real life too, huh? I'm just telling you the story, huh? okay? Went to all these other Jalan first, when all these Jalan failed already, then, oh, Don Corleone, give me justice, you know? And the Don is too clever, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, and he knows this, right? He says that you, you don't actually want my friendship. And then Bonazera protests. He says, oh, uh, Don Corleone, what do you want me to do? I'll do anything, you know? He says, what do you want me to do? He says, oh, I want you to, to make this boy suffer, you know, the way my daughter has suffered. And then and he says, I'll pay anything. I'll pay you anything. As if it's about money, right? This guy doesn't need the money, right? Well, he, he wants it. But then Don Corleone says this, and, and catch this, catch this. He says, Bonazera, Bonazera, what have I ever done to you to make you treat me so disrespectfully? Wow. When Marlon Brando said that in the movie, huh, I got shocked, you know? I was like, wow. To the, to the dawn, this is disrespectful. You know? Then he said, if you come to me in friendship, this scum who ruined your daughter will be suffering this very day. And if by some chance an honest man like yourself made enemies, they would become my enemies. And then they would fear you. And I, and I started to see what was happening. That here, Don Corleone is setting the scene. He's saying that, you know what? You have all these other powers out there and you run to them and you run to them for help. But actually, I'm stronger than all these other powers. And if you came to me for real genuine friendship, you really came to me for genuine friendship, not only because you've exhausted all your options. If you did, your enemies would become my enemies and all of them would be in trouble the day they make you your, their enemy. Wow. And then Bernazera drops his head a bit. And then Don Colonel said, you never even call me Godfather. Yes. Then Bonazera drops his head. He says, be my friend. And then Marlon Brando kind of like scoffs and turns away. And then, and then, and then Bonazera drops his head all the way down. And he says, Godfather. And then Marlon Brando gives him his hand. Bonazera lifts it, his hand up, kisses his ring. And right there, at the point where Bonazera kisses his ring, Don Corleone accepts his accepts that gesture. Covenant is cut between these two men. Covenant is cut. I, I, when I saw it, I was thinking, this is such a powerful scene. Why? Because the moment, the moment Bonazera kisses Don Corleone's ring, what it means is that now. Bonazera belongs to Don Corleone. Don Corleone will protect him. Anyone who is Bonazera's enemies is now Corleone's enemy. It's now the Godfather's enemy. 
and now he comes under his protection. But what does it entail? For Bonazera, Don Colone says to him, one day, the day might come, the day might not come, but I will ask you of, 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 to do something of service to me. I will ask you to do something of service to me. Let's see if that day ever comes. And Bonazera says, yes, I will definitely. So now he's owed in debt to the Godfather, right? And so the story goes on, right? Now, my friends, this is a picture of loyalty. This is a picture of full, complete, submitted loyalty. Bonazera is now owned by Don Corleone. Bonazera now will be owes full allegiance to the Godfather. And anything, anytime, anywhere he goes, as long as he has full allegiance to his Don, right, his Don will look after him. Now, my friends, how does this relate to our faith? In some sense, everything. Everything. Our, our Don it's not Don Corleone. Our Don is Don Cristo, right? Our Don is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He is not just the Godfather. He is the God and our Heavenly Father, right? And, and we owe loyalty to Him because throughout the Old Testament, we see Him cutting covenant with His people in virtually the same way that the Godfather cut covenant with people who need His help. And so, so let's, I want to show you, just today, I just want to take you through the Bible, okay? It's really no, no gymnastics, just take you through the Bible. We're going to look at loyalty through Old Testament uh, uh, covenantal loyalty, right? And we're going to look at loyalty through New Testament kingdom loyalty. So there is loyalty in the Old Testament. Often it is depicted in covenantal loyalty, very much like the one I just described to you from the film. And then there is a New Testament kingdom loyalty where the king has come to rule and he actually makes certain demands and expectations on those who would follow him. It is more, much more than professions of faith, and private affections. It is relational and it comes down to who your knee bends before. But let me start. Now, we could go into the Old Testament, look at the laws, look at the prophets, look at uh, um, all these things to find covenant, right? Look at the narratives. But I want to show you, I want to show you a picture of Old Testament loyalty from the cries of God himself in the book of Hosea. So I'm going to drop you now into Hosea chapter 2. Now the context for Hosea is this. God is crying out, crying out about Israel that keeps, keeps being unfaithful to him. So there is no loyalty between Israel and God. And the picture of it is a picture of a husband, Hosea, and his bride, Gomer, right? And how that bride just keeps running away and having other lovers right under the husband's nose. And, and the husband has literally to go and, and bring his wife home, you know. Um, and and that's, that's the, the metaphor. But I want you to hear this. This is a husband, husband talk. This is the spouse talk, right? It's God talking about his, his bride, Israel. At this time, the, the church has not gathered, so his bride is just Israel, Okay. 
Hosea 2 verse 13, God is kind of in this, he, he, he does this in the prophets a lot where he kind of proposes like, I've got two options with you. I can either whack you completely or I can show you mercy. And then he kind of does this anthropomorphic thing like 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 to, to show you how a human reasons these things out you know he kind of shows you this is how i would reason out if i were to whack you right and then he shows you that he changes his mind no i will not whack you i will show you mercy right and god does this a lot in old testament prophecy so in verse 13 he's still considering option one okay and he's showing you the consideration process of option one he says i will punish her for the feast days of the baals right so she feasted with the baals right did her uh, uh, um, uh, pagan uh, worship then he said then he says when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry so she beautified herself for for this for this lover and went after her lovers and forgot me declares Yahweh. She beautified herself. She went out the door. She forgot me. I grew up with uh, Kenny Rogers. So if, if you grew up with Kenny Rogers as a country singer, um, uh, that means you're old. You're legit old. Okay? <laughs> if you grew up with Kenny Rogers as roast chicken, okay, then, then, you're, no, then you're, you're 90s onwards. But Kenny Rogers has this song called Ruby, Don't Take Your Love to Town. Okay, and 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 it's about a war veteran who's had his legs, uh, um, kind of like uh, um, injured, and he's sitting in a wheelchair, and every day he sees his wife beautifying herself, and then he and in order to go to town, right, to meet her lovers there, and and, and the chorus he he says, "Oh Ruby." Don't take your love to town, right? Um, and and that's that's kind of like what's happening here in Hosea. God is crying out to his bride saying, don't go, don't go. Every time you go out the house, every time you leave to go chase after your lovers, you forget me. You remember your lover. His name is Baal. And then we go to verse 14. He changes his mind. He's pre he's not so much that God changes his mind like he's fickle. He's showing you, if I were to do this, what would it be? In fact, I actually want to do this. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. I'm not going to do this. I'm actually going to do this. I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. In that day, declares Yahweh, you will call me my husband and no longer will you call me my Baal. My friends, when I read that, my heart broke. When I read that, my heart broke. God says to his bride, you will call me my husband. Affectionate term, uh, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my Baal. As if to say that we have called the wrong boyfriend's name before. <laughs> in affection, in love, in the throngs of love, sometimes the cheating lover calls the wrong name. And God is saying exactly that's what's happening here. In the throngs of your love, you called the wrong man's name. You called me my Baal. But no longer, when I woo you back, no longer will you call me my Baal. In fact, I will remove that name from you. I will remove it so much that his name will never be mentioned again. No one will ever remember that name again. And you will be my bride and I will be your husband. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice and steadfast love and mercy and in faithfulness. You shall know 
Yahweh. That's how it ends. And and I thought, wow, this is this is really God's heart. Now, my friends, you just read Hosea 2, you know that God's desire for us is much more than just professional faith and private affections. It's much more than that. It is about loyalty, fidelity, and faithfulness. Let me say that one more time. What God wants from us is loyalty, fidelity, and faithfulness. You can see it on the next slide. My friends, this is the language of romance, of, of marriage, of, of the faithfulness and trust between two lovers. This is a fidelity issue. Our relationship with God is a fidelity issue, not just a salvation issue. Sometimes we only think about it as purely on salvation terms, right? Like, have you professed? Have you said the sinner's prayer? Say it already, you know? Therefore, your sins are taken away from you. And all that is good, huh? I, I, I know, there's no, I like, I, it's so glorious to me. Every Good Friday, I remember the work of Jesus on the cross. But it's bigger than that. It's about your allegiance it's about your loyalty you are married to this lord don't fool with other gods but maybe you might say ah pastor Fux, all these things are huh, is all all, all all these things is like other gods only ma we don't worship other gods yeah well since when i walk into hindu temple buddhist temple since when i went walk into masjid i don't worship other gods right but no, the Lord is saying that every time you give your heart away to that which is not me, to that which is not me, it is infidelity. It is adultery. It is fornication. You have just given your heart away. And I want you, I want you for my own, says our husband, the Lord. And maybe you will say, oh, Pastor Fox, you know, every all these Old Testament things, uh, God's just asking us to obey the law only. Old Testament is law. New Testament is salvation by faith through grace in Jesus alone. And that's how sometimes we end up with a very kind of like, kind of like, Old Testament is this, New Testament is that. And then sometimes people come and say, Pastor Fox, I don't understand how to reconcile Old Testament from New Testament God. They seem like such different gods. And depending on who's guiding you through the Bible and how they end up doing it, I've watched videos that make the Old and New Testament God sound so different. There are actually people who say that they are different gods. It's unbelievable, okay? So that's not how we're going to learn our Bibles in Sunabulo Church, okay? The Old Testament God, New Testament God, same God. Same heart, same passion, same love. The things that tick him off are the same. They have not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so, if you, if you say that, oh, all the Old Testament covenant, all that is just follow Moses' law, that's not true. Let's look at Deuteronomy 30. Let's go right into the, the end of the Pentateuch and let's look at this. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. So that you can do it. See that? It is in your mouth, perfection of faith. It is in your heart, private affections. But there is a third element so that you can what? So that you can do it. Actual, practical, tangible 
obedience, allegiance, faithfulness, fidelity, and loyalty. Let's look at the next page of this text. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, two options. If you obey the commandments of Yahweh, your God, that I command you today by loving Yahweh, your God, right? By, by the way, the Yahweh, your God is Yahweh Elohim, okay? Um, by walking in His ways, see, walking in His ways, by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, then you will live, live and multiply and Yahweh, your God, will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. You're like, ah, ah, see, 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 keep his statutes. See, that's about the Moses law. We, we are not bound by the law anymore. You know, we are saved by faith through grace in Christ alone, right? No, no, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. But if your heart turns away, you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and to serve them. I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land you, that you are to possess going over the Jordan to enter to possess. By the way, all this enter the land to possess is relevant for them because they are about to cross the Jordan and enter the land to possess what they should have possessed in X number of weeks. It took them 40 years, right? And so they are about to enter and possess a land. So my beloved church, we are going to enter a land to possess and become an actual entity on the land. S-I-B-K-L at Sungai Bulo is going to become a real, tangible earthbound thing very very soon and we are going to enter the land and we want to live long in that land we don't want to go in and then gonna smoke and then gonna dumped out you know uh, um so so how how next page right next page i call heaven and earth to witness against you today that i have set before you life and death blessings and curse therefore choose life Choose life that you and your offspring may live. What is God doing? He's saying that there is a way to, there is a direction to bend your knee that results in true life. And then there is a direction to bend your knee, or rather, every other direction to which you bend your knee will result in death. And you say, Why are you so like that? Why are you not fair? And he says, it's not about fact. I'm the giver of life. So if you bend your knee in my direction and you kiss the ring on my finger, so to speak, that's life because you are acknowledging and giving your loyalties to the one who gave life. And it's not that there is a one versus another. There is a one versus everything else. Everything else. Because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I sometimes quote this from someone else, right? And you can get everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Right, And so there is one degree in which you will find Jesus and with that degree you find life. And all th 359 other degrees is an approximation away from life. And then he says this, right? He says this in verse 20, click to the next slide. Loving Yahweh, your God, obeying His voice, holding fast to Him. You love Him, you obey Him, you hold fast to Him. For he is the life and length of your days, that you may dwell in the land that Yahweh swore to your fathers. Right? So what is God asking of us here? He is asking for us to love the Lord, obey his voice, hold fast to his words. Right? Love the Lord. Private affections, personal, pri personal confession, right? and, and private love. 
but also you have to obey his voice and you have to hold fast to him you have to hold fast to him somebody say hold fast to jesus oh gosh church we have to hold fast to him because the bible says in the in matthew i believe it's 24 i don't have it but it says there that there will be wars there'll be tribulation and they'll kill many people but the one who endures till the end will be saved the one who endures till the end will be saved my friends that's in the bible i don't want to make you feel uncertain about your salvation if you're holding fast to him you know keep holding fast to him love the lord obey his voice hold fast to him the one who endures till the end will be safe because there are some who will think that they they were they they had it in the back and then they grew proud and then they did all kinds of things while still ministering before the lord and some will go and stand before king jesus and say lord lord didn't we drive out demons before you lord lord didn't we cast out uh, 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 demons and heal the sick and perform all this wondrous miraculous such charismatic signs for you and he will say i don't know you go away from me i don't know you why because though there was an expression of giftings and charisma there was no loyalty there was no allegiance there was no fidelity before the lord i want to show you a picture of what fidelity looks like what faithfulness looks like in daniel chapter 3 daniel's three friends shadrach meshach and abednego right they are part of a nation right where nebuchadnezzar has just the king of nebuchadnezzar of babylon nebuchadnezzar has just erected a huge monumental sized gold statue of himself okay, of himself and then the law was made that everyone must bend their knee and worship him that statue and if you don't you are liable to be thrown into the fires of the furnace and so what do shadrach meshach and abednego do now my friends have you heard of this before that someone maybe a christian will say never mind la just bow before it but in your heart bow to jesus you heard that before you've heard that before right it's okay la just just thumb the 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 joystick at the altar but then in your heart you are worshiping jesus i've heard that before and i believe you have to and i want to be very gracious to all of us i'm i'm sure that for some of us we may have been in that position i know i've been in that position before i have chinese new year eve go to my grandmother's house new christian what are you going to do everybody got all the food in front of the altar one by one they are putting joystick 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 and you are standing there auntie look at you mother look at you what are you going to do Say do one me, right? Say do one me. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said say do one. Yes, say do one. And if I don't, I don't, I don't raise this. If if that has happened to you, I don't raise this to make you feel guilty or to make you feel shame. Okay, because because I stood on the brink of that before. I know what it feels like. And if to, today you want to say, God forgive me. Just say, God, forgive me. And he will forgive you. His grace 
outstrips any of our sin. But today onwards, today onwards, remember Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. But the Lord was so real to their lives and they were so loyal. They were so loyal to the Lord, they would not, they would not say, even though they probably could just bend their knee and say, oh Jesus, I'm bending to you, right? But they said, no, we will not. We will actually not. And then they said, you're going to throw you into the fire. And then they said, fine, my Lord can save me. And even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, I still won't. Wow. Wow. And that's what happened. They threw the three of them into the fires. On that occasion, on that occasion, there was another in the fire, standing right next to them. His light was blazing like the sun of, uh, uh, of, of the gods, as Nebuchadnezzar would say in his own language. And we know today that was Jesus right there protecting them. But you know what, my friends? I don't want to just share with you, wow, oh, success story. Every time you stand your ground, you know, uh, victory. Thousands of Christians, just go to opendoors.com, right? And read stories of people being persecuted. A small percentage of people managed to flee, managed to escape, managed to get out. So many others will perish. So many others will perish for their loyalty. And on some other day, on some other occasion, another Shadrach type, Meshach type, Abednego type of Christian will say, even if my Lord doesn't save me, I still will not bend. They go into the fires and they burn. And still, they go into the fires. Why? Because they are loyal to the Lord. They will not stand against Him. Their flag has been pitched on the side of King Jesus. There is no two ways about it. Mati mati, with you, all the way until death. Tetap bersamamu, Tuhan. Tetap bersamamu, Tuhan. That's why we sing that song. Ya Abba, Ya Baba, ini aku anakmu. Ini aku anakmu. From now on, I'm your child. I know where I stand with you. And nothing, nothing around me can lure me away so that I can say my allegiance lands somewhere else. Nothing from today onwards until the day I die. If it be by fire or can die in peace, in bed, either way, either way, I'm with you till the very end. In the Old Testament, you see pictures of covenant. God cutting covenant with people, with his people. And his people saying, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, we are yours. And you know what? They kept breaking covenant. They kept breaking covenant until one day Jesus came and kept covenant on our behalf. And that takes us into the New Testament. So in the Old Testament, you see loyalty being forged between God and His people through covenant-related loyalty. But in the New Testament, we see now Jesus saying that I have come, I've kept covenant loyalty on your behalf in a perfect way. But does it mean that, oh, no need already, no need already. Actually, one thing I was thinking of is that did, did Jesus, did, is you tumpang Jesus' righteousness, yes? Yes. That's good theology. We tumpang Jesus' righteousness because on our own, our righteousness is but filthy rags. But in Christ, He imputes His righteousness onto us. Yes, we tumpang His righteousness. But I'm going to ask you a question. Do you tumpang Jesus' love for the Father? Can you say that I don't love God, but Jesus loves God on my behalf? 
He died for your sins on your behalf. Yes. He is righteous on our behalf. Yes. Does He love God the Father on your behalf? Or does God the Father expect you to love Him? Yourself. Think about that. Let me get into it. Jesus, I'm going to show you a whole bunch of scriptures. But sometimes, sometimes we say, oh, Old Testament is about law. It's harder. New Testament is about grace. It's easier. How many of you all heard that one before? Right? We've heard that one before. Right? New Testament is easier because Jesus forgives you. And then from there on, you just have to believe in Jesus, profess your, your, your faith in Him, and cultimate. Right? Don't have to do all the work. We use the word work. Don't have to do the work. You know? And then, and we are saved. Right? And then, and then how does that jive with some of the things that Jesus says? Okay, because I want to take you through this. I want to tell you because, like I said, today we are tracking through the whole Bible. We're not just going to overinflate one or two verses. We're going through the whole Bible. Jesus says, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Hey, that's hard, you know, and maybe made extra hard for evangelical Christians like us who never have been challenged to our loyalties to Jesus before. That the entire breadth of our salvation theology starts and stops with private affections and profession of faith. That's it. We only have that small bandwidth. It's a good bandwidth, but it's a smaller bandwidth than the real thing. And that's all. And then suddenly you see a verse like Luke 9.62, you're like, what? What? How can he talk like that to us? No, ma. I profess already, ma. I'm saved already, ma. And you say this, and you say, what do I do with this? No, seriously, what do you do with this? He's saying that if you get into the work of the kingdom, but you keep turning back, meaning that you can't leave your past behind, you can't leave your other things behind, you can't leave your treasures and, and, and your talents behind, and you can't leave all your, your, your other things, or whatever that may be, something else has your heart. Something else has your loyalty. It might be your home in this place, this place. It might be your investments in so and so things, right? Something else has shared loyalty with you. He says that if you put your hand to my plow and your loyalty is divided between here and there, you're not fit for the kingdom. And you think, okay, so what, I have to grow this bandwidth a little bit? to include Luke 9.62 so that you can actually demand of me full allegiance and full loyalty and that's kind of like part of what's going to make me worthy and fit for being in your kingdom. Let's look at the next one. Let's look at the next one. There's a man who said to, his father, to, to Jesus, Lord, I want to follow you, but first let me go bury my own dead. That you, that, that my father, let me go and bury my father, you know. By the way, his father hadn't died, okay. So if you read how, how, how Jewish people understand um, that expression, it's not that his father was dead and there was a corpse in the house that needed to be buried. That's not the case. His father was alive. He's saying that, let me go home, live with my father until he grows old to the point that he dies and I bury him and I have no more commitments there. Then I'll come and follow you. Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go proclaim the kingdom of God. What you mean? You mean what? I'm not fit for the kingdom? 
if I have partial loyalties here? And Jesus says, I want your full loyalty. I want your whole heart. Say, eh, quite jialat, right? You can touch other things, lah. can touch money, can touch investments, can touch, you touch father, mother, very painful one, lad. Very, very painful one, lad. And especially, I, I don't know, maybe it's worse for us, uh, Asian people, uh, like it's like our, our, our family structures are like super tight and you touch father, mother, is super offensive one, you know. There's worse ones coming up. I think y'all can predict already. You got the very, very bad one coming up, right? Never mind. We save that for a while. Let's touch money a bit. Remember the rich young ruler came to Jesus? Start, I, I don't know. Every time I read the rich young ruler these days, it looks like he's trying to fish. He's, he's fishing for a compliment. He said, I've done all these things, right? What more can I do to be perfect? You know, I've done all these things, right? Maybe it's sincere. Really, what more can I do? Jesus says, one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Then you will have treasures in heaven. You will come follow me. Wow. He wants the full, really? You want the full loyalty even at the expense of all my belongings? Hey, but this sounds like quite reckless law. This sounds like not very good stewardship law. He says, leave that to me. Leave that to me. I'm asking you right now. If I said yes, would you? Because I know your, your, your supposed great-grandfather, his name is Abraham. I asked him for everything. He said yes. He didn't understand. He said yes. So are you cut out from that? Are you Abraham's son? That's, what he's, that's effectively what Jesus is saying to the rich young ruler. You're a Jew, right? Are you really Abraham's son? Yes? Okay, I'm going to ask you right now. Would you give everything up to follow me? Not even asking for your son. Just asking for all your material things. Gao liao. Would you? He couldn't know. He couldn't know. Church, would you? I ask myself, Fergus, would you? Fergus, would you? And I hope, my prayer is that at the end of that, that self-examination, my answer would be, I would. I hope, Sungai Bulo Church, every one of us will say, yes, Lord, I would. My knee is bent before you. Every knee bowed, every tongue confessing. Meaning, full loyalty to one Don Cristo our God our Father our King our Lord our Master 100% allegiance to Him He touched money elsewhere also in Sermon on the Mount He said no one can serve two masters either you will love one or hate the other or be devoted to one and, and, and not the other right and despise the other you can click the next slide right you cannot serve both God and money. And you can replace money with anything here, okay? This is kind of like a primer for loyalty. No one can serve two masters. Remember my slide with loyalty. Most of the time, you must take a side. You can't serve two masters. You either, eventually, you will love one and hate the other. Eventually, you know, it's like standing on two boats in the water. Your left leg on one boat, your right leg on one boat, and then you're like, and over time, the two boats will just part. And as the two boats part, you will split until you cannot tahan already. And if you still can, lift one foot and put it in the other boat and go all in. You cannot stay like that too long. One. You cannot. Same thing with your loyalties. You cannot stay like that forever. Jesus says, put all your chips on me. And I will prove to you, choose life. Choose life. That's life. 
You put all your chips in me, that's where the life is. You put your chips in me plus everything else, that's where death is. Let's go on. He says, if anyone comes to me, wow, this is the painful one, no? right? Now, if you're familiar with this verse, I promise you one day, Sungai Bulo Church, I will tackle this. I will tackle this properly. I will give it its proper attention so that, so, and I hope that one day we can all enter this and it no longer has the same kind of feeling of offensiveness that it currently has. Okay? If anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife, children, brother, sister, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. This is probably ranking the number one most offensive Bible verse, okay? at least to all of us Asian people. Okay? Maybe, maybe some Bible verse that, that demands for your, for your human rights will be more offensive elsewhere in the world. But for us, you touch father, mother, it's very painful. Cannot. Okay? Cannot. But then, he does. He does. And what he's really saying here, okay, and I'll explain more on a different day. I promise you one day I'll tackle this, okay. Um, what he's really saying here is if you have loyalties to me, but you have higher loyalties or shared, spread out loyalties to your own life, let's work backwards for a change. To your own life, if you're loyal to me, but you're loyal also to yourself, not just that you're loyal to me, but you're loyal to yourself and your sister and your brother. And not just that, as throw in your children. You're also loyal to your wife. You're also loyal to your mother. You're also loyal to your father. You're loyal to me and six other different parties. Is it six? Two, four, five, six, seven different parties. If you're loyal to me and loyal to so many other people, you're going to be torn in seven different directions. And you will not actually be loyal to me. That's the essence of what he's saying here. And so he's saying, if you want to be torn in seven different directions, you can't be my disciple. Fair? Fair. He wants your full loyalty. That's fair. But I can tell you, for some people, it actually starts to look like a real issue with mother, father, brother, sister, wife, children. I want to tell you a little story about this girl called Kim Sang-hwa. Okay, they say, it's not a real name, this is from Open Doors. Um, she's a North Korean. She grew up in a Christian home. As you know, in North Korea, if you're Christian, you're effectively you're dead, right? You're effectively dead. She grew up in a Christian home. She wasn't a Christian. She wasn't a Christian. Her father and her mother were Christian. She never knew. And, and you might be like, oh, why so weird one, you know? Uh, parents, Christian, and the children, you know, brought up in Christ, go to church. Not in North Korea, Right? right, Because the parents have to know when is the right time to introduce their child to, 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 to Jesus. And so what this girl, uh, uh, Sanghua, would do is that she would wake up in the middle of the night and hear the sound of a radio playing. Okay? And that radio is actually okay, special Bible radios okay, tapping into Bi Bible being streamed on radio, through radio, it's not streaming, right? it's radio waves, right? And the parents listening to it softly in the middle of the night. And at that time, she didn't know what this was. She found a Bible in the house. You know what this girl wanted to do? She thought, I think I'm going to report my parents because I know this is wrong. She actually had that thought. She thought, I'm going to report my parents, but it's my parents. I love my parents, but this is wrong. I know this Bible is wrong. I know their, their radio is illegal and it's wrong. And our dear leader, Kim, same surname, okay? Our dear leader is going to look on our family as traitors because our allegiance should be to Kim Jong-il. 
And so, she was torn. And she very nearly wanted to report her family. So when Jesus says that if your loyalties are split between me and your father, mother, brother, sister, children, and all these things, you can't fully be my disciple. What this means is that in some places, we are so privileged, we don't have to think about the reality of that verse. Some people actually have to live it out. This girl had to live it out. Her parents had to live it out. But the father sat with the girl one day. She asked, what's that Bible? The father showed her the trees and he said, who made them? The little girl said, I don't know. And he started to share with her the gospel about beginning from Adam and creation. And this girl became a Christian. And she saw how her father, she saw how her father would go to secret hiding places to meet with other Christians and to pray with them. And more and more people would send their children to those hiding places to pray with them. And guess what? At one of those places, in some of these hiding places, even spies would be there. Spies by the government would be there. So when Kim Sang-hwa shares a testimony, she said that in North Korea, about one in three people are spies. Can you imagine living in a place where one in three are spies? You can't trust anybody. And so they were sure that there were spies visiting that secret place to be prayed for as well. And sure enough, when some of the people who used to visit was dying, one man was dying. And then the father went to visit him at his deathbed. This man said, actually, I know you. I know about your family. I know about your past. I know about, your, uh, about all your connections. I know about everything about you. Because the government sent me in here to be a spy. And I'll spy you out completely. And then Kim Sang-hwa's father asked him, So? And what? He said, I never reported you. Because I saw that you were a good man. I saw that you were different. And I saw that your God is different. Now I'm dying. This spy told Kim Sang-hwa's father, I want to become a Christian just like you. Before I die, can you show me how I can become a Christian? And her father prayed for this man. And he was saved. And every day, girls like Kim Sang-hwa are out there in this world because of their loyalties. In her case, smuggled out. She grew older, got married, smuggled out to China. And then her two-year-old son joined her one year after that. Two-year-old son joined her one year after that. And then from China, they managed to make their way into South Korea. Along the way, running from place to place, working hard, working on the ground, meeting in secret. Why? Because their loyalties are for Jesus. And there are going to be people, so my beloved church, I'm sharing this with you all straight up. There are going to be people who walk into SIBKL at Sungai Bulo looking for refuge. Will we have our loyalties right so that we receive them and we become a city of refuge for them? Or will we have our loyalties in all the wrong places? You know you can have your loyalties at the preservation of your Sunday service and that's not Jesus. You can have your loyalties at the enduring of your organization and that's not with Jesus. If your loyalties are with Jesus, you will receive one like her you will receive one like her. And then all of us, one day, living day to day like the Shadrachs, Meshachs and Abednego. But is there any other option? Do you want to live like any other way? Do you want to die in any other way? I don't. 
I don't. And so, Jesus says, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That means, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my favourite writers, he wrote this book called The Cost of Discipleship. And he says this, he says that the invitation to die actually came not at the end of your walk with Jesus. It comes right at the start of your walk with Jesus. So he says this, if you can see the next slide, he says this, the cross is not a terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing happy life. <laughs> the cross is not a terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life. But it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. The day you met Jesus, you met the cross. And you didn't just meet Jesus on the cross. You met Jesus on the cross and then he says to you, if anyone would follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And Bonhoeffer died for it. He opposed the Nazi regime in the Second World War. He was caught. He was killed. Today, he lives on in Abraham's bosom, so to speak. He lives on forever, blazing in bright light, not his own, the light of God the Father. Why? His knee bent before the King, King Jesus. His loyalties, 100% with God. His allegiance, 100% with God. We remember Dietrich Bonhoeffer until today because he put his full loyalty with God. If he had not, he'd be a schmuck, just like any other schmuck. You live, die, have lots of wealth, have lots of connections, stay safe, play safe, and then after that, forgotten forever. We are not that kind of people. Allah Bapa, kami, kami berikan segala hati kami kepadamu, Tuhan. Segala jiwa kami, segala minda kami, segala kekuatan kami, Tuhan, kami berikan kepadamu, Tuhan. Tuhan, pagi ini Tuhan kami memberikan deklarasi ketaatan kami kepadamu kami taat kepadamu kami setia kepadamu kami tetap bersamamu sampai akhirnya sampai akhirnya Tuhan kami tetap akan bersamamu Tuhan kami tidak akan kami tidak akan berhala kami tidak akan pandang ke kanan atau ke kiri kami tidak akan terpikat oleh semua yang ada di dunia ini. Mata kami hanya tertuju kepadamu Tuhan. Kerana engkau lah bapa kasih kami. Engkau adalah kekuatan kami. Engkau adalah pengharapan kami. Engkau adalah keselamatan kami. Engkau adalah segala-galanya kepada kami. Our everything. Jadi bapa. Terimakanlah kesetiaan kami dan pimpin kami supaya kami akan sentiasa setia kepadamu. Help us forever remain faithful before you. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His countenance towards you and give you shalom. And all of God's people shout aloud, Amen.